0: quick video. Here's my concern, right? I know, A, people like channel me out halfway through a sermon or times and they come back in later on. All right, but we are starting our Advent series uh, this week. So in case you are going to miss it all or you're traveling, I think this video hopefully will help us get a great idea of what the Christmas season is all about.
1: An angel came to see me. Mary, she was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, what, I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager, I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, You are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey.
0: Yes. <laughs> a camel.
1: Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel, and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, We have no rooms. Literally, no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, The only place in, here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed when the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, and then they saw angels. The angel said, "A new baby is get, getting born, who is king of the Jews." The angel was singing. Glory us. And then the shepherds said, "I think we should go there and meet him." The second I think said, "Yeah, I agree with you." And the other said. Yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. Then the wise men heard about it, and then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. Stuff stuffed animal, like a hippo one, I have at home. Some diapers and some wipes, some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, ring, and myrrh. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room is very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's going to be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby i ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is going to change the world.
0: Just a good, helpful synopsis. So if you check out, I get it. All right, I'm going to pray for our kids, and we're going to send them down, okay? Uh, they're going to learn more about Jesus themselves. God, thanks for our kids. Thanks for the blessing they are to us. But uh, again, they are even more important to you and so now i just pray you go with them Uh, pray for the shads; they would have wisdom and just be led by your spirit uh, for what to teach them god amen all right guys you can head on down and if you are staying here with us i'd invite you to take out your bible this morning to the book of matthew chapter 1 specifically. And we are starting our Advent series. Uh, That will be three weeks, including uh, Christmas Eve as well. And so um, I know many of you have uh, just traditions and things you do on Christmas Eve, but we'll have a candlelight service here at 6 o'clock that evening, and we'd invite you to come and, and take part in that as well. Our our series is going to be looking through um, the, the coming of Christ through the birth um, and description of Matthew, and uh, just why Advent. If if you don't know, you know, just Advent. The word means an arrival, or perhaps maybe even more specifically, an arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And so often this time of year, you'll, you'll hear it called an Advent series, or it's, or it's Advent season. And so by even calling it that, what are we saying? Well, we're saying that, that this baby, who was named Jesus, he was important. He, he was notable, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And so today, we're going to begin working through just Matthew's account. I've never preached to this before, um, And some of you may even be thinking, if you're familiar at all with Matthew, why are you starting with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 specifically? Because it's a genealogy. And you might think dull and boring, and it's just a bunch of names. But it's hugely significant. Okay, so if you have your Bible uh, this morning, Matthew chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 17 together. I will not pronounce all the names correctly, And Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Solomon. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And King David, sorry, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shaltiel, and Shelteel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Aether the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Iliad, and Iliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus is born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Fathers, we just now spend a few moments looking into your word. Pray that your spirit would be present, that it would work. And uh, that, uh, whatever is not from you that comes out of my mouth will be forgotten. But your word would be very deep within us, that we may grow mature in Christ to better understanding of how glorious you are in your name. Amen. When you think of genealogies, perhaps your brain starts to wander in your own mind. And so I just ask you: How far back can you remember? How far back in your own life can you remember? I think one of my earliest memories is when I was five. For whatever reason, there's a—I just remember a red huffy bike at Christmas time. That's the the furthest back I, I can probably go. Um, but what about you? How how far back can you trace back? Anyone go y- younger than five? Okay, what's the age? Two. <laughs> Noah. Three. Okay. It's hard, isn't it? And as time goes on, you're you're more kind of fuzzier, and the memories either grow to be fantastic tales or they're horrible woes, aren't they? Now, what about your relatives? How, how far back can you go that way? Perhaps it's just great grandparents or great great grandparents, or, or how far back do you know your heritage? Right, my mom claims that somehow, some way, someone related to me came over on the Mayflower. I'm skeptical, all right, if I'm honest with her. But she says she can prove it. We've seen in recent times just this whole idea of DNA, heritage, Ancestry.com. We've seen a resurgence in that. It's become a, a focal point for families, right? For some, it's just curiosity. They want to better understand their history, right? With really, it's probably to better understand themselves. We begin to look back to understand who I am, Right? So like Eli had to do it was Heritage Week. He had to do this thing last week, and, and then there was a big heritage lunch, And, and so uh, you know we had a discussion in our house because we're Swedish and Italian, and there's German in there, we're a little bit of everything. Um, so Kim made pit which are an Italian cookie, which she makes, and they're fantastic. Um, and I said, "Well, we'll make Swedish meatballs." She's like, "Nate, they're not even Swedish. They're, like, they're some manufactured thing. First off, Google says they are Swedish, and if Ikea makes them, they must be Swedish, all right? So they're <laughs> Swedish, all right? And so we look back, and Eli was we were like, Eli, why are you doing this stuff? He's like, I don't know. We just have to do it. It's because he's in second grade, doesn't care much about those sort of things, right? But, but we have some sort of idea, but often it's to give clarity and understanding. My grandmother, right, who was born here in America, but many of her, of her siblings, if not her parents, were born in Sweden, had great pride of her heritage, my, mom, my mom's mom was adopted, so it begins to get a little bit fuzzier. My, dad has, my dad's dad, who I never knew, had a Native American in him as well. And so there's some fascination there for my dad to try to discover those things. See, for most of us, if, if not clarity, it's just interesting to understand where we come from. For some, it gives a sense of peace and clarity into how we are, why we might think a certain way, why we might like certain tastes and not like certain tastes. See, understanding the past, it truly can give us freedom. It can give us direction in the present and then even into the future, right? We watched a movie this week that, that with our kids. It was an animated movie. And the whole thing was like just kind of like stuffing your emotion down. Don't think about things. Just stuff it down deeper. Don't, don't ponder anything. Like, it, was, it was funny, right? But it's sometimes it's just not helpful. And so even wrestling with, with who we are and trying to understand those things can help, again, give clarity and freedom. So See, Matthew's words here in chapter 1, they're both factual and important. Right? They, are, they are what will set the pace for the rest of his writing. They also are affirmation of a thousands and thousands years of promise. And there's temptation, isn't there, to come to Matthew chapter 1? Let me guess. If you read the Bible on Christmas morning, you didn't read Matthew chapter 1 typically. Right? Or you probably even read the beginning of Luke even. You probably skipped that. Right? But there's great symbolism here and great importance. See, it's not just a list of names, but we have to ask the question, what does this mean to me? Right? Important questions to ask when reading the scriptures are, what does this passage say about God? What does it say about Jesus? And how does it apply to us today? Look, if you have no idea, if you're in your quiet time, you're trying to read the Bible and you're just struggling, you're miserable at it, Start simply in a beginning of one of the Gospels. Read a portion and then say, what does this reveal about God and his nature? What does this say about Jesus? And then how does that apply to me? And so we can do that here today. Right? You may sit there and say, look, I already know who Jesus is. I, I, know, kinda, I know the punchline. I know where Matthew's going here and the whole story. But look, understanding the past, I promise you, will give us clarity, I hope, an even greater extent of why it was so important that Jesus came. See, as you heard these names read earlier, did you recognize any of them? Did you recognize any of the names from from, from this? Like what? This is my fear. You're falling asleep. Like what? Ruth. Yeah, perfect. We just are preaching through Ruth. This is great. What else? Rahab. Any others you recognize? Jesse, Landon. Okay, Adam was not listed. You are not paying attention. Good try. Did you recognize the name Ram? Nashon? Jotham? See, there's, there's names mixed here that you don't know. And Matthew's focus here, right, has a very specific focus. So there's two genealogies in Scripture, primarily that has to do with Jesus. Matthew's account, Luke's account. Matthew is intentional with what he names, See, Matthew's focus is to establish and demonstrate Jesus' legal claim to the throne of David. This is the origin of Matthew's genealogy. Luke focuses on and emphasizes Jesus' biological descent from David and, Abraham and Adam. There's, there's two different agendas being talked about here. See, Matthew's entire purpose on writing this was to authenticate who Jesus was from a historical perspective. See, in today's culture, you can change and become many things just based upon your own interest. Meaning this, so if you grew up at a family, right, with, with, with poor financial security through hard work, determination, you can change that future. You grew up somewhere cold, you said, look, I'm, I'm sick of it, I'm out of here, we're moving to somewhere warm right I know a family from northern Maine who now resides in Tonga which is a remote island on the other side of the world it wasn't weather related they just wanted something different than America and so they chose and so they went and there they live it's fascinating that today you truly can go and just change things in a whim however in the culture and in much of history Right? This is not the case. Often where you grew up, what you were established in, your heritage, right? it was going to be that way going forward. And your kids would likely be the same lot that you had in life. And that's just how it was. In a, much of a culture, you were what you are because of your past. See, so for many, genealogy was important. Genealogy established a person's heritage. Right? That's true for us, right? Okay, again, I'm Swedish and I'm German and I'm some other things. Okay, my boys now have Italian mixed in with them. But in this culture, right, where Matthew's writing, it establishes things not just like your heritage, but your inheritance. Your legitimacy to your people and even the rights you were to have. See, meaning the fact that your father was a king was very important for you and all of your siblings. It was especially important for the oldest brother who would one day become king. And if your family owned land and you could prove that you were a descendant of that family, it was likely that you then could take on that land in the future. See, in our culture, the primary way of life, right, in modern day is simply lawyers, legal documents, and courts to establish one's ownership. But in a culture where there was minimal chance for upward movement, your family line was extremely important. Simply put, man, where you came from, it mattered. And that's changed. Like my parents talk, like my dad grew up in Quincy, just outside of Boston. He talks about Quincy with a fondness. I'm like, I grew up in southern Maine and western Massachusetts, my, my mom grew up down near Long Island in Manhattan, and they talked about it with fondness. There was neighborhoods, there was cultures, even Portsmouth, right? Hanover Street, right? the Italian section of Portsmouth. Of and there was pride in these things. And it may be hard for us to connect those dots now, but, but this is part of what Matthew's talking about, the importance of, of where they came from. And so Matthew begins his writings with an introduction of Jesus with some important titles. Okay, just so we're all on the same page, Jesus Christ was is not first name, last name. Okay, he's not Mr. Christ. Okay, it's it's a titles that he's given. Jesus, right, from the Hebrew Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Christ from the Greek Christos, into the Hebrew, I don't know how to say it, Mashiach, maybe perhaps, but means anointed. So Matthew, really beginning out here in Hebrew, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of genealogy of the anointed one. The anointed one who will save. See, Jesus Christ here is not just some other guy. He's not just your everyday next door neighbor. He is the anointed one from God who will save. This is why Matthew's writing about him. Matthew is not starting out with the genealogy of Peter. No, he starts out with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Two other important phrases he begins with. Son of David and son of Abraham. Why would those be important? Why would he write those things? Well, Matthew, again, is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, right? And they would have certainly known of both David and Abraham, right? They would have also known of, of something called the covenants that God gave to them, right? What were they called? Do you know? This is not a trick question. No. What were the covenants given, what were they called, to David and Abraham? It's not complicated. The Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. What were those? That's the awkward pause for a moment as you try to think about it. The Abrahamic covenant was this. When God told Abraham, look, I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. It was God's promise to Abraham that your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. The Davidic covenant was this, that, that God promises Israel and David that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. So now we have some more definitive statements being made here by Matthew. Not just a name, right, the anointed one who saves, but now this is a book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now he's connected into two very important God-ordained covenants. See, why is it important that they're God-ordained? Because God is the one who began them. He ordains them. And what does that mean? That these covenants are unconditional. Meaning this, that God does not place any condition of obedience to fulfill them. The, the surety of the promises that God has made rests solely on God's faithfulness. When, he, when, when God says to Abraham, look, I'll make your descendants as many name of the stars in the sky, he did not say to Abraham, hey, start making babies. That's not what he said. Because the condition to keep the covenant is on God to keep his word. It was not on Abraham to figure out how he was going to do that. The condition that, that the Messiah would come from the throne of David, right? it was on God to uphold the promise that it would come through the line of David. It wasn't for David to figure out how to orchestrate right, generations after he's dead how this is all going to come to fruition. Because guess what? When you're dead, you can't really figure that out for yourself. See, God alone is faithful, and his faithfulness will keep these promises. So now we know some more about Jesus. If you know nothing about Jesus today, you know this. That he specifically is given the title of being anointed as the one who saves. He is from the line of Abraham's covenant and from the line of David's covenant as well. See, Matthew is purposeful in his writing. He wants people to connect that this Jesus, this promised Messiah, he was legitimate, he is the long expected king. I think it's important just to note quickly, Matthew's genealogy is not all-inclusive. Like, if you were starting to kind of work your way back to the Old Testament, you'd say, well, he's missing this, he's missing that person, why isn't this king mentioned? Again, Matthew's goal was this, to point to the legal claim of royal kingship as the rightful king of David's throne. And so Matthew includes all those necessary to establish the connection from Abraham to David to Christ. For example, Jesus, while not Joseph's actual son to heredity, he became the legal heir when Joseph married Mary. Right? So Matthew has marked for us the legal connection down here, the family tree, to connect Jesus as a fulfillment and rightful heir to David. See, from the beginning, what we have here is the lineage of Jesus, and he begins with Abraham why is it just fun fact why does he do it in just 14 names 14 names 14 names it was probably just for simple memorization actually and so he was able to do that and an accuracy to the kingship line for the people as we mentioned earlier matthew's list here again is to establish the legal heritage the royal kingship and like all families like your family like my family There are some individuals that may be more reputable than others. Some are more upstanding. Some you would talk about at Christmas parties, right? When people ask, how is so-and-so doing? You love to talk about how they're doing. Oh, yeah, but how's his brother? "Ah, He's okay. We don't don't talk much about, about that family member, right? And it's what we see here. See, with this heritage, we see a list of names of individuals that we would expect to be there. Right? We've heard names like Ruth, and we saw Boaz. I always think, man, they're, they're important. They seem godly enough since so they were doing the right thing. But there are also many there that, that some, I think, would honestly attempt just to leave out. So they wouldn't have to be associated with them, they wouldn't have to be asked about them, but, but they're here on purpose. If you noted, I'm not sure if you did or not, but in this family tree, right, five women are listed. Right? And this is not common for this culture in this period of time, and that the genealogy will be traced through women. It would be primarily through men. We see five women listed. We see one of those being Rahab. Who is Rahab? Anyone know? Who is Rahab? What? Led the, hid the spies and got them out through the wall. That's if you're telling the story around people that are nice and you don't want to make her sound bad. Rahab was a prostitute who helped the Israelites. And we don't talk about the prostitute thing, but that's who she was. We have a woman here who, yes, helped the nation of Israel, spy out the land, but her lifestyle was not of God. And yet here she is listed in the heritage of jesus we have abraham which you know but do you remember abraham was not of the most strongest backbone of all the people in the world abraham lied multiple times he said that his wife was his sister why did he do that well he didn't want to fight for he didn't want to defend his wife he said look that's my sister yeah you can take her From all just human perspective, Abraham appears to be a little bit just of a a coward, of a liar. You've got Jacob, lied to his father, cheated his brother. You have Ruth, a Gentile of all people from Moab. You have David. Interestingly, isn't how David is described? In verse 6, Jesse father of king david and david was the father of solomon by the wife of uriah what happened to uriah you ever ask that question if you didn't know the story well glorious perfect king david had uriah put on the front line of the war hoping that he would die so that david could take his wife to be his wife See, within this family tree is a list of people who are far from perfect. There's killing, there's lying, there's deceit, there's poor rulings as kings and judges. There are some who did well and better than others, but none of them did things perfectly. So why does that matter to us? Why does it matter that that Matthew would take the time to include these names? I mean, isn't there a better way? to figure out how to make the genealogy work from a legal standpoint. There could have been. But the reality today is this, that God was not working through and does not intend to work through this storybook tale. The Bible does not begin with once upon a time. Disney had no play in this story. This story of Jesus is written through tragedy, through brokenness. It's written through sin and through redemption. It's not a story that has a neat plot, thought-out timeline with individuals that will somehow be redeemed in the end of it all. But no, God was working in and through the realness of broken humanity. You see, what we see here is a broken people, people who make mistakes, people who are determined that they know what's best and then make horrible decisions. We would often not want to have these people in our family trees, but yet here they are listed in the line of Christ Jesus, the anointed one. Church, there's temptation for you to look at your life and for me to look at my life and say, how would Jesus ever use me? How, How would he ever call me worthy enough to be used? Let me caution you when you begin to go down that road. Look for a minute at the individuals mentioned in the genealogy associated with Jesus Christ. They're not perfect people. Often they choose rebellion over godliness, and yet here they are associated with the King of Kings. what we see here is God's what he promised in the garden what he promised in the garden was to include the broken and the unlikely in his redemptive story see God choosing to use a prostitute and a murderous and jealous king was not because they would just make a good story it was because he was faithful to his word and to keep his promise So before we begin to start to kind of make this sermon about how God can use broken people, that's not the focus point of Genesis, or sorry, Matthew chapter 1. That's an important point. Because again, if you feel like you're not worthy enough to be used by God, you have an accurate self-awareness of you. Congratulations. That's fantastic, actually. Because you know what the Bible says is that when we are weak, he is strong. So what does that tell us? Man, we're struggle, we're, we're broken, and we come to the Lord as broken people. And man, God says, look, I'm, you're strong because now you're trusting, you're residing, you're pressing into me. See, I think Matthew includes these people, yes, to establish the legal line of Jesus. And yes, he includes them to remind us that he uses broken, frail humanity for his purposes all the time. Don't fall into the temptation to think you're not good enough. You can't be used. You have nothing to offer. God did not uniquely design you. He does not know the hairs or lack thereof on your head and say, you're no good for me. He knows these things about you, and he can use every fiber of your being for his glory. That's what we're reminded of as a sub-point of Matthew chapter 1. But listen, you you don't stop there. Go beyond that. Because here is the greater purpose, I think, of why Matthew wrote this genealogy for us to read today. It was primarily because God was faithful to keep his word and his promise. See, God promised the Messiah would come. And God promised Abraham that his descendants would be multiplied more than the stars in the sky. And God did promise the king of glory would come from the line of David. And in this genealogy written by Matthew, we see all of these promises kept. Matthew shows us the faithfulness of God today. Matthew reminds us that, that God only knows how to be faithful to the things he says he will do. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. If you know anything about the beginning part of Genesis, it's grand, it's great. God walks with man, there's communion, there's conversation. There's animals that are together that have no business being together and and there's peace and then sin comes in and he breaks the harmony that exists. And then in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In the garden of Eden, God talks about Jesus in, in the garden. When everything just became fractured. When all of a sudden the lion said, you know what? Lamb might taste good. When Adam and Eve said, we're naked. When all this chaos begins to take place, God says, look, I'm going to put something in motion that will take place thousands of years from now where I'll begin to rectify this situation. And what we read about in our reminder of here in Matthew chapter 1 is God's faithfulness to keep his promises, especially the one he made in Genesis chapter 3. See, God uses broken things, he does all the time. And God restores brokenness. And to think that we have to be perfect and have it all figured out to come to Jesus is simply not true. Listen to the words of, of author Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas. And I'll maybe read it twice, but it's worth listening to. It says this. In ancient times, there was a concept of ceremonial uncleanness. If you wanted to stay holy or respectable or good, you had to avoid contact with the unholy. The unholiness was considered to be contagious. But Jesus turns that around. His holiness and goodness cannot be contaminated by contact with us. Rather, His holiness infects us by our contact with Him. And I love that. It's unbelievable. It's like the doctor who walks to the room and sees all the warnings outside the room. Caution, don't go in, cover your mouth, Cover. put your, gla- your goggles on, put your, these are called gloves, right? put, put your gloves on, put your suit on. It's very contagious. Enter only if you're a specialist. And the doctor says, I'm going to go in there because the medicine and healing I can bring will help this person. Folks, this is what Jesus does. He steps into the uncleanliness. He doesn't say, get clean, come see me. No, he says, look, I'm going to step into this brokenness. I'm going to step in a pile of something I don't want to step into. I'm going to walk in there anyway. And he walks in and he does so because he cares. He walks into the hard places of your heart and your hardness and my heart and my hardness to heal. He walks into brokenness. Stop thinking we have to have it all sorted out before we come to him. See, it's not correct to think that we're far beyond the work that Jesus can do in our lives. See, he not only spent time around the broken people when he walked this earth, but in fact, his history and his heritage include the brokenness that God also used. See, God is faithful. He is faithful to keep his word. Why does Matthew start with the beginning? Yes, to show the legitimacy of Jesus as Messiah, for sure. He's preaching, he's speaking and writing to a Jewish audience. He wants to show Jesus as the Messiah. But he also, I believe, wants to show today the faithfulness and the covenant-keeping nature of God. God has kept his word from Abraham to David. He has kept his promise from Adam and Eve in the garden and Eden all the way through. And he has sent a king who will reign forever. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 8 when he says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. So then we can say with confidence that we are his. And when we are his, we are loved and we are secure, even in our brokenness as he redeems us. See, Matthew's genealogy is written so that today we would remember, yes, the identity of Christ. But we would also remember that God redeems the broken and he is faithful to his word. And so we celebrate the advent of Christ with the hope and longing for the second advent of the promise-keeping Savior who will come again. And in the meantime, as we eagerly wait His coming, which is better than any future plans that you have for your life, as we eagerly anticipate the second coming of Christ, we live in a reminder that God is faithful to keep His promise. That he constantly redeems the broken. Let's pray. God, as we even now maybe just wrestle with our own frailty, our own brokenness, I just pray that you would give your spirit freedom to work in our lives, to remind us of the truths. God that you are faithful to keep your word and so when you tell us that you love us that we believe that that we are established as your children when we are obediently following you we have authentically trusted in Christ that we would believe that and own that ours our identity and when your word tells us that you are better than anything else even this life could offer God would we trust that wholeheartedly Father, help us, help us, help us to remember that you are a promise-keeping God. Amen.